This is Guns and Butter. Without consumption, markets are going to shrink. Uh, companies won't invest. The stores will close. There will be for rent signs. Uh, tax uh, revenues to the cities will fall. They'll have to uh, lay off their employees, and uh, the economy will shrink and shrink and shrink. Now, the question is, why aren't economists talking about this obvious phenomenon of debt deflation, which is the distinguishing phenomenon of our time? Uh, they're doing just the opposite. They're saying, just uh, give more money to the banks and everything will be okay. Uh, and nobody's asking, why isn't this working? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, Debt Deflation in Europe and America. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super Imperialism, the Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. Today we discuss the European banking crisis, Germany, the myth of social security in the U.S., the food, fuel, and climate crisis, the super congress, debt deflation, the FHA lawsuit against the banks, modern monetary theory, the coming lost decade, and debt cancellation. Michael Hudson, welcome. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Michael, you are presently in Germany. Let's talk about Germany. Angela Merkel is due to attend a September 7th EU meeting that is very important. What is going to be discussed at the September 7th meeting? This is a meeting of the Bundestag to discuss what the German courts are ruling as to whether the uh, European Central Bank and uh, the German government can uh, bail out uh, Greece and Portugal and uh, directly by the bonds of these countries or uh, whether uh, the Constitution prevents this. There is a European Union meeting over what's become a constitutional crisis here. Uh, the important thing is the... Uh, issue uh, that's come up in the EU directorate over whether the European Central Bank uh, should buy government debt or not. Uh, It's constitutionally blocked uh, from buying uh, government debt on the theory that this would run the danger of inflationary policies. And unlike the United States and England, uh, where the central banks were founded to uh, monetize the government debt so that Uh, they wouldn't have to pay interest. Uh, In Europe, the idea is that a central bank is independent from the government and is supposed to uh, prevent uh, the possibility of inflation, and it can't buy government debt. Now, Angela Merkel is saying, well, we want to buy the debts of Greece and uh, Portugal and other countries in trouble, because otherwise uh, they're going to default and can't pay the banks. And uh, what we have to do is not really bail out Greece and Portugal. We have to bail out the French and the German banks that are holding their government bonds. Otherwise, the yields will go up on these uh, bonds and uh, uh, the banks will lose money. 
and uh, uh, we'd much rather push our country into poverty and make the people lose by paying the banks because uh, that's what the banks tell us, that without their making uh, super profits, uh, the economy is not going to uh, recover because they'll wreck the economy if we don't do what they say. It's like America. They're saying, we have the power to stop the payment system, and we're holding you hostage, and we will wreck the economy if you uh, don't take our losses onto the public balance sheet. If you don't do what they did in Ireland and uh, bail out the banks and uh, make the taxpayers make sure that the banks uh, make money, then uh, you can say goodbye to the economy because the economy rests on the financial core. We uh, in the financial centers are the economy. So needless to say, there's a big political split in Angela Merkel's own party over whether uh, Germany should go along and uh, help buy the debts of uh, countries that are are running fiscal deficits and uh, support them. At issue is what is the responsibility of a government and of the EU for its parts? Now, what I found out over here, as I've talked to the people, is the whole uh, morality of finance and economics is very different here from the United States. So if your listeners are trying to follow the news in Europe, uh, they should learn what I've been learning over here. Uh, In the United States, uh, states can go under, uh, like Alabama or Birmingham, and the federal government says, well, that's your problem. We don't have any liability. I understand that yesterday the Republicans in Congress said that, uh, well, regarding the victims of the hurricane on the East Coast, you cannot spend any money to bail them out unless you cut uh, government spending somewhere else, preferably in Social Security. And uh, uh, this is unthinkable in Europe. For instance, it was explained to me that uh, the German government always supports or bails out uh, Berlin. Uh, which runs at a deficit. So there's a feeling that every uh, national government has to support the states and the cities as part of their uh, mutual aid ethic that goes way back. Now, the question before Europe is, should this principle of a government supporting the region, uh, Italy, for instance, uh, for 50 years has supported the South, the Mesogiorno, the poor region, should Europe uh, take responsibility for the rich nations uh, supporting other countries that are in the position of uh, the Mezzogiorno in Italy or Berlin, or uh, should they be treated as completely separate? So the whole character of Europe is being determined right now, and uh, it's being determined on the conditions that are going to affect the financial markets, uh, whether these governments can issue debt, uh, what's going to happen to the banks that have the bonds. And there's a difference in banking, too, that shapes all of this. In the United States, for instance, uh, the Federal Reserve can create as much money at once to uh, uh, fund the uh, U.S. government spending. That's not the case over here. Instead of no continental European central bank uh, actually monetizes its own uh, uh, deficit spending. It, it relies on the financial markets to do this, and financial institutions, banks, insurance companies are required under the law to hold a specific portion of their reserves in the form of government bonds. So there's a linkage between the banking system and finance and uh, major institutions with uh, the financing of government debt instead of the government 
uh, central bank doing it. So there's a whole difference in economic structure between Europe and the United States that makes the same words mean something completely different over here. Now, there's going to be an EU meeting. Yeah. Now, what is going to be discussed at this meeting? The constitutional issue of whether the European Central Bank should buy government debt, uh, should buy bonds uh, of uh, Greece, Portugal, Spain, Italy, and other governments that all of a sudden uh, are seen to have uh, big fiscal deficits. Now, who would be buying these bonds? There is a European Central Bank that essentially uh, is autonomous and is European-wide. In other words, the European Union, the countries that are members, are all part of the uh, European Central Bank. Now, is this central bank part of the, of the government, or is this private? It's all government. Uh, the Europeans can't imagine a private central bank. Uh, so it is a government body, but it's independent of the government. In other words, it's run by bank officials, not by elected officials, not by parliament, uh, although its uh, heads are appointed. Uh, by Parliament. So the situation there is very much like the Federal Reserve here. What kind of people are going to get uh, appointed either to the U.S. Federal Reserve or to a central bank uh, in Europe? It's people with uh, financial experience working for the big uh, banks uh, in Wall Street in America. If you're with the Federal Reserve, uh, you're basically appointed from Goldman Sachs, and you act as a lobbyist to support the bank's interest in the economy against uh, the rest of the people. So if uh, the Federal Reserve of New York, when Tim Geithner was running it, uh, was basically, how can we bail out uh, the big banks in Wall Street and transfer the loss onto taxpayers? In Europe, the situation uh, isn't quite that drastic because the financial uh, situation isn't that drastic. But obviously, the kind of people who are appointed to any central bank are uh, monetary people who have the world view of the financial sector. And the banking uh, world view is something that no matter what, the banks have to stay solvent. Well, the banks now, if they're buying a bond of uh, Greece or somewhere else, all of a sudden, they have to pay huge risk insurance uh, premiums in order to protect themselves against the fact that Greece may simply say, look, we don't have enough money to pay the bonds. And this brings up the other moral issue that's being talked about here. To what extent should a country impose austerity and even depression on itself, more than a uh, great recession, an uh, entire lost decade on itself, simply to pay interest to bondholders who have been financing a fiscal uh, system that hasn't really taxed the rich in Greece. Uh, the countries that are in trouble were all fascist at one point. Uh, Spain under Franco, uh, Portugal, uh, Greece under the colonels. All of these countries were wrecked for a generation by uh, very right-wing military dictatorships that uh, uh, put in place a tax system that didn't really uh, tax the rich at all. Uh, you could say it's the Republican Party's dream and the Obama administration's dream, uh, taxing labor, not the rich. It's the direction in which uh, the whole world seems to be going these days. Uh, but the result is that these are the countries uh, that are in trouble. Well, what does the Lisbon Treaty prescribe? What does this treaty say? 
there are a number of very bad things that it says. For one thing, it said that uh, member countries in the Eurozone, that is the countries using the Euro, uh, should keep their budget deficits within 3% of GDP. Now, this means that they are unable, under the agreement, uh, they're unable to run a counter-cyclical Keynesian-type policy. Uh, now that there's a recession throughout uh, Europe and as there is in America, uh, what governments should be doing is indeed running a deficit uh, to help uh, restore employment and to uh, restore markets. But they're not able to run it there. And because of the deficits they've been running up in past years, more and more of the budget of Greece, Portugal, Spain, Ireland, all has to be paid for interest. And the interest payments and the subsidies to the uh, wealthy are uh, crowding out uh, social payments, social spending uh, as a whole. Now, are there any laws in Europe to restrict the European Central Bank from how much debt it buys. Yeah, uh, it's not allowed to buy any government debt. Then why are they discussing this? Because uh, Angela Merkel says, look, if you don't buy government debt, uh, and if you don't uh, lend money to these countries, they're going to default on their bonds. And if they default on the bonds, then the banks are going to go under and there will be a crisis. Okay, well then... What you're saying, then, is that Angela Merkel is proposing a constitutional change in Europe. Uh, it's very hard to change the Constitution. They're uh, just proposing that the European uh, Central Bank uh, ignore the Constitution. Now, has the Central European Bank ever done this in the past? No. So this would be a break with the past? Yes, a break with the past. Okay. For instance, Christian Wolff is Germany's president. Last week... Uh, he said the European Central Bank is going far beyond its mandate by purchasing Spanish and Italian debt. And he said that uh, uh, this uh, rush towards a fiscal union is striking at the very core of democracy. Uh, what he's saying is, wait a minute, if you're going to go against the constitutions, decisions have to be made in Parliament in a liberal democracy. That's what legitimacy is. So the question is, who's making the policy? Is it the Constitution? Is it the government? Uh, who, who is making this policy of buying debt? Exactly. Uh, it's September 7th that the Constitutional Court in Germany is going to rule on the legality of the whole European Union's uh, bailout policy. Now, people are wondering, is how is the court going to rule? And that's why the market is going down. That's why the euro is uh, under such pressure going down. Because if the constitutional court rules that there's a 440 billion euro, that's uh, about $600 billion, if the rescue fund breaches the treaty law, or if it undermines uh, German fiscal sovereignty, then uh, there's going to be uh, a whole fire over, gee, do we want a monetary union or not? And if uh, they don't want a monetary union, then uh, uh, what does that mean for the EU? I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, Debt Deflation in Europe and America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. The problem is that the uh, EU has been turned into just the opposite of what it was 
in the beginning uh, that gave it such support. In the beginning, in the 1950s, it was created by social democrats and by socialists and by people who wanted to make sure that Europe would never go to war within itself again. So it was largely the left created it. But since the 1980s, uh, as financial issues and monetary union uh, has uh, risen to the fore, it's become more and more right-wing. Planning has been shifting out of the hands of government, out of the hands of elected officials, into the hands of uh, bankers and the, uh, the European Central Bank uh, and the financial, uh, the monetary union part. So uh, what's really at issue is whether Europe is going to be run uh, for the bankers and the financial sector uh, or for the population at large. So in the past, uh, uh, Angela Merkel has worked with Nicolas Sarkozy of France uh, to try to represent the banker's position here, uh, not the uh, political democracy position. Is there public opposition to bailing out the banks in Germany as well as the rest of the EU? Sure. Uh, the people here say, wait a minute, uh, the economic recovery should come first. The government money should be spent on social programs, uh, should not be spent on bailing out the banks. They say, look, if there's a crisis because of bad uh, fiscal policy in these countries, uh, you can't simply say, we'll lend you money, uh, Greece, now you have to sell off the Parthenon and you have to sell off your tourist areas uh, to the banks and you have to privatize everything and uh, carve yourself up and sell all of the public domain to the financial interests. Uh, they say, look, if the problem is there, let's deal with the problem now. Uh, you don't postpone it by dealing with the financial sector and uh, say, well, okay, we're just going to uh, keep buying bonds and financing a bad uh, fiscal financial policy. That's the moral hazard problem, uh, that if the banks and the investors and the speculators all think the government is going to keep bailing out their bad bets, then they're going to make more and more bad bets uh, that yield uh, very high uh, uh, yields and then tell the government they have to make them whole. So that's exactly what the issue is. Uh, and it's the same as in the United States. Uh, uh, most people in America, most voters have said they're against uh, the bailout. Uh, even uh, Republican Michelle Bachman made a big point that she voted against the bailout in uh, September of 2008, and she's still against the bailout. So uh, Republicans, Democrats, uh, most Americans are against another bailout for the banks, uh, whereas Tim Geithner and the Federal Reserve uh, are saying, well, you may have to bail them out again. Uh, it's an infinite uh, pit. Just uh, keep squeezing the economy to squeeze out enough to pay the, the financial sector. That's it's exactly the same fight uh, you're having here. Earlier, you said that the banking crisis in Europe wasn't as severe as it is in the United States. I had thought it was worse in Europe. Well, there are a number of differences. Uh, there hasn't been the wholesale financial uh, mortgage fraud here that there is in the United States, except in Ireland, of course. Uh, in Ireland, they found out that uh, the average mortgage was about 20 or 22 cents on the dollar. So obviously, there was a giant mortgage fraud there. And with the Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, there was a, a huge fraud. But in continental Europe, uh, there hasn't been uh, so much fraud. Uh, the problem is 
just the uh, level of debt itself and the fact that all of this is sort of uncharted territory. And uh, it's only right now that uh, Europeans are having the discussion that perhaps they should have had uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Nobody wants the Greeks and Portugal to starve. The question is, what's the best way to help them? Now, either you just give money to the government uh, straight uh, so that it can survive, or you help them through the financial market by buying bonds, and all of a sudden that involves a twist. And the twist involves uh, speculators, uh, Wall Street banks, uh, making gambles. And uh, if the aim is to support Greece, why do you have to include the financial sector for gambles? Now, a few months ago, U.S. Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner called the Europeans and said, wait a minute, you have to bail out the banks because the American uh, banks, Goldman Sachs and the others, have gambled so much that they'll lose their bets. And if they lose the bets, they'll go under and we'll have to bail them out. So uh, you Europeans have to sacrifice your economy so the U.S. Uh, casino capitalist gamblers won't take a loss. This did not go very well over here, needless to say. Are you referring to the credit default swaps? Uh, yes. That the U.S. banks hold, the, they actually wrote the insurance on the European. Yes, that's part of it. Yes, that's uh, a large part of it. But also lines of credit uh, all throughout uh, Europe and uh, the, the United States. Most banks have lines of credit with other banks, just like uh, uh, an individual will have an overdraft with their bank. One bank will have uh, an overdraft with another bank. And now the banks are uh, canceling their lines of credit because nobody knows really what bank balance sheets are worth. Uh, the banks have been fiddling with their accounting so much that uh, all of the accounts are pretty much fictitious. So if a bank finds out that uh, you've lost your job or that you've been uh, misrepresenting your income, uh, they're going to say, I'm sorry, we're going to lower your credit card amount from 10000 to 2000 or we're canceling your credit card. Well, that's what the American banks are doing with the European banks. So all of these lines of uh, credit that are all created on a computer keyboard are being canceled. And uh, that's creating a balance sheet problem. So that's why people call this a balance sheet recession, not uh, really a worker uh, spending recession. Well, has the financial system reached its limit? Yes, uh, it's reached its debt limit. I mean, the financial system is a debt system. That's a uh, bank's product, debt. And uh, people can't afford to pay any more debt. Uh, than they're paying now. I mean, obviously, America is in the most extreme case. Uh, in Europe, it's uh, businesses and uh, government much more. Well, is any financial investment safe? I don't think so. Nobody knows of any. That's why people are buying gold. Uh, the reason they're buying gold isn't because they love gold, because uh, there isn't all that much use for gold, uh, but it's because they've lost uh, faith in uh, in governments. Uh, that's also, by the way, why uh, U.S. Treasury bills are uh, yielding almost nothing. People are moving into the U.S. Treasury because uh, the U.S. Treasury can just print the money to pay, so they know that they're safe. Uh, everything is insecure now, and if you look at the markets, going up 400 points one day, down 400 points another, I mean, this wild zigzagging, uh, this is a market for professionals, and if you don't have a billion dollars in a computer uh, working zap, zap, zap on trades, uh, you don't have a chance against these computer-driven trades because there's no rational explanation related to the real economy as to why the stock market should 
uh, careen so wildly 400 points a day, up and down and up and down, like they're doing today, down 200 points. Well, do you think then that the lack of confidence in governments that is driving the precious metals market, specifically gold? It's also copper. It's also uh, food. People are trying to move out of finance. They're trying to move into uh, anything that's tangible. Farmland, uh, wheat, everything. Do you feel that that uh, move into tangibles is a rational response? Uh, it's a self-protective response by people who say, wait a minute, if I uh, buy government bond, Greek government bonds, I may lose money. If I buy a stock, I may lose money. If I put my money in the bank, it may go bankrupt. Uh, where am I going to put it? They, they want to get out of the uh, financial superstructure somehow back into the real economy. And that's the problem. The economy, uh, what people call the economy, uh, well, in the United States, for instance, uh, last year, 40% of corporate profits in the United States were made by the banking sector. The real economy is shrinking. Uh, Germany has a very high proportion of the uh, real economy to GDP, but other countries have become post-industrialized service economies. And uh, all of a sudden, they find out that if you don't make things, and uh, you just think you can live forever by going to Las Vegas, well, at some point, the money runs out. Uh, I mean, Germany, it certainly is the uh, strongest uh, economy because it's uh, better structured in many ways, more industrial. It's a much lower cost economy because it hasn't built financial overhead costs into family budgets, into businesses. Uh, it hasn't built financial overhead in to anywhere near the extent that others have. So it's been able to resist uh, this kind of financial poison that's been coming out of the U.S. economy. As long as we're speaking about uh, Germany, what is good about the German economy? Describe the social safety net there. For instance, what about housing in Germany? Well, in America, uh, people will spend about 40% of their uh, family budget on housing costs. In Germany, it's about 20%. And there are a number of reasons for that. For one thing, uh, Germans need to pay 20 or 30% of the purchase price down. So they don't have 100% mortgages uh, like there are in the United States. There are a lot of co-op uh, arrangements in Germany. There's a much larger rental market here. But unlike the United States where the rental markets owned uh, privately by landlords who were squeezing out as much as possible, there are huge uh, cooperative organizations. Uh, and someone, let's say you uh, go to Hamburg or uh, Frankfurt, you'll join a co-op organization, and it may be, let's say, $1,000 or $3,000. And these co-ops will be sort of like a uh, savings fund, and uh, they will rent out uh, their property at cost to members of their group. They're open joining, anyone can join. And so we're in America, uh, the landlords are going to try to get economic rent over and above the actual cost of uh, maintaining the house. In uh, Europe, uh, the rents are much more in line with the actual costs. Well, that means that uh, there's not that much motivation to buy a house. It's a speculative means uh, because uh, it's so much cheaper to rent uh, than it is to buy that housing prices, real estate prices, are uh, much lower in uh, Germany than they are, say, in the bubble uh, areas. There has not been a financial bubble in Germany that has bid up uh, prices uh, as they have in the English-speaking or the neoliberalized countries.
That's one of the big differences. And housing uh, is the single most important element uh, in the budgets of many people, certainly Americans uh, and British uh, these days. That used to be food 200 years ago in the time of Ricardo, uh, and you'd judge uh, international wage competitiveness by the price of bread. Now international competition is set by what it costs to live in a home. So when Germany has low-unit labor costs, it's not simply because it has very high technological productivity. It's because it has low housing costs, uh, relatively low Social Security costs. It hasn't financialized uh, its economy uh, to the extent that the United States has. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, Debt Deflation in Europe and America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So when you said that Social Security is pay-as-you-go, who is paying, the government or the citizens? Basically the citizens, and pay-as-you-go is sort of uh, an American way of putting it. The Germans call that a uh, generation treaty. And the generation treaty is that the uh, young generation agrees to support the old uh, generation in retirement on the understanding that when it gets old, uh, the workers, uh, employees, will uh, support it. Now, what I mean by pay-as-you-go is there's no financial intermediaries that are in, is in the United States. In the United States, uh, there's this pretense that uh, Alan Greenspan and the right-wingers have put in that somehow Americans have to pay Social Security by saving up in advance and then drawing on it. But that's a myth. What happens in America is that uh, the workers are docked on their uh, salaries, the FICA, by over 13%, altogether goes to uh, pay Social Security and into the government fund. That's much more than is actually uh, paid out. And this extra money is used to buy government bonds, treasury bonds. And the treasury uses this money to cut taxes on the rich, to cut taxes on real estate, and essentially to give subsidies uh, to the financial sector uh, to move away from progressive taxation into regressive uh, tax the poor, not the rich. And Ultimately, when it comes time for Social Security to begin selling off all of these Treasury uh, bills that it's been buying for the last uh, 80 years or so, uh, then selling the Treasury bills out of a Social Security fund economically is exactly the same thing as a government issuing fresh Treasury bills uh, and running into debt. So the whole idea of pre-saving for Social Security is just as absurd as it would be to pre-save for a war. What if we said, well, maybe there's going to be World War III. Let's save. uh, It may cost $3 trillion. Let's save $3 trillion and take it out of paychecks now and put it into the Treasury bills. And by the way, now that we have all this money in the Treasury, let's uh, untax the wealth, and only people earning less than 50000 a year will have to pay any tax at all. Uh, this is the kind of trick that's been played. The trick is to convince people that paying Social Security is a user fee, not a uh, social program to be paid out of the general uh, budget of progressive taxation and taxing the rich like it used to be before Alan Greenspan and the Republicans came in in the 1980s. Uh, so basically, Germany doesn't have any of this. Uh, they only pay uh, just just as you go to war. You'd pay on a pay-as-you-go basis, like Adam Smith uh, said governments should do. The uh, employees pay enough to 
pay the pensions to the uh, older generation, and they look at it simply as a generational support, not simply as a uh, uh, budget item like uh, is being discussed in America between the Republicans uh, and the Obama administration these days. And that's interesting that you say that people are required to pay much more in than is actually being taken out of the system. It's a uh, save enough in advance uh, beyond what you have to pay so that we can lend the money to the government to cut taxes on the rich. It's pay much more as you go, pay much more than the government needs, so the government has enough money to slash the income tax that wealthy people have to pay. It's not really a social security system. It's a system of taxing employees, not the rich. It's a tax shift off the wealthy people onto employees. And that increases the cost of employing people in the United States. That is one of the reasons, in addition to the housing cost, that prices America out of world markets. Uh, the system that the banks have put in and Alan Greenspan uh, are designed to tax labor and uh, siphon off so much through the debt overhead that uh, American labor cannot compete in any market in the world except in arms markets and special markets and the food markets. So uh, what they call the free market uh, efficiency is crippling the efficiency of the United States by uh, adding to uh, housing costs and adding uh, needlessly to the Social Security and Medicare costs. You can follow it all by looking in the Treasury Bulletin or the Federal Reserve Bulletin uh, that shows how the uh, savings of the Social Security Administration go up every year. Well, there's no need for any of the savings ever to have taken place. Uh, and if it wouldn't have taken place, then uh, workers would have uh, been able to keep much more of the salaries and wages that they earn, and uh, the government would have had to maintain higher taxes on the rich. But the Republican policy was tax labor, untax wealth. This is the class war with an iron fist. Well, since we've talked about Social Security... What about the new, what is called Super Congress, Committee of 13, Obama being the 13th? What is the composition of this committee, and what about the automatic budget cuts that would go into effect when, in November? Uh, that seems to be the case. Uh, the Super Congress is made up basically of people who spend a lifetime wanting to cut Social Security. They say there's a choice. Either you give more money to the very, very rich, or you cut back Social Security in the savings. Uh, and the basic rule in high finance is big fish eat little fish. And something has to give. Uh, there have been a lot of financial losses. There are millions of American savers who have put their paychecks into Social Security. Let's take their money. Let's wipe them out. Let's just uh, uh, reduce what they get, reduce their savings, and give it to ourselves. Uh, this is the position of Mr. Obama, uh, who basically says, my main street is Wall Street. Uh, and people should realize that basically his belief is that uh, Social Security should be cut back to give money to the rich. Uh, he could say just as much as George Bush said, that's my constituency. Uh, and that is. And uh, Mr. Obama will be sort of the deciding vote, but he's already appointed uh, people to the uh, Budget Commission and the Social Security Commission a year ago, or when he first was elected, people who, we, as we've spoken on your program before, want to cut back Social Security by pretending that there's a crisis 
and that uh, if the government needs money, the poor should lose, not the rich. That's it in a nutshell, and uh, that's despicable. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed that there's not in America more of a political uh, reaction against this. I mean, people have really saved their money. They've worked very hard to put this money into Social Security. This is real savings. And for the Republicans to say this is an entitlement, these people are on welfare, they're treating uh, the elderly and the retirees uh, as if they're somehow welfare recipients that are freeloading off, off the rich. When it's actually the banks that have been given a, a handout. And if uh, the Bush and Obama administration can give $13 trillion to the banks to uh, make sure that they don't lose on uh, their finances, then why can't they uh, give another trillion to uh, Social Security? The reason is that uh, there's a class war on that's the only explanation for this. And if you don't realize that there's a class war on, and it's not the kind of war that people talked about a century ago. It's fought in the financial arena. And the idea is uh, basically for the big savers to take the savings of the little people, uh, then you're not going to understand uh, what politics is all about these days. Uh, essentially, Mr. Obama wants to be able to uh, take the issue out of Congress. It's very hard for congressmen or senators to actually vote against Social Security and Medicare uh, because most voters are in favor of it. So they want to blame somebody. If you look at who the campaign contributors of the uh, Super Committee are, they're very heavily the financial sector. Uh, they're heads of financial committees. And, uh, you know, it's, no matter what, even if uh, they're unpopular, they're going to be able to retire with such high-paying jobs in the financial sector. It's what the Japanese call descent from heaven, uh, that they'll get their payoff uh, for basically taking the heat on stiffing the Social Security recipients for their constituency, which is Wall Street. Food is becoming very expensive in the United States. Do you see this trend continuing and is the rise in food prices a consequence of the weak dollar? Uh, it's not a consequence of the weak dollar. Uh, it won't continue. It'll escalate uh, very rapidly. There are a number of reasons. Uh, one thing is uh, the global warming is creating water shortages all over the world, and also the urbanization is doing that. But also there's been a huge diversion, especially in the United States, of cropland to grow uh, gasohol, to make gasoline out of. And that's diverted away from food, uh, essentially, for cars and uh, for energy. Uh, the Canadian tar sands are one of the worst things because uh, they use 10 gallons of water for every gallon of coal gas. Uh, I was actually the economist working for ERDA, the Energy Research Development Administration, around 1975, uh, and did the study of this. And when the Carter administration came in, they said, look, uh, how are we going to pay for all this high-priced OPEC oil now that the OPEC countries are raising the price? And Carter's solution was to raise the price of wheat. And uh, the idea was that coal gasification and uh, liquefaction would uh, divert so much water away that it would turn uh, the Western American states into a desert. So uh, what we're seeing already in the West are uh, the incipient water wars. Who's going to get the water? Will it be uh, urban areas? Will it be uh, agricultural areas, farmland? What will the price of water be? Will the water be diverted to make uh, gas a haul and uh, coal liquids? Uh, what is it going to be? The other part is that uh, speculators all over the world are buying land as they're moving out of uh, 
of credit and of uh, finance because they think, well, land is real. Everybody's got to eat. So uh, all of a sudden, food is becoming as much of a speculative vehicle as gold or copper or uh, stocks. So you would say that speculation is uh, one of the big reasons why food prices are going up. Uh, land speculation, yeah. speculation in water? Not speculation in water, but just uh, the fact that uh, water levels are falling and uh, food is made as much out of water as it's made out of soil. Uh, and uh, that's become a real problem, as is the weather. Uh, the whole global warming is causing weather changes that are reducing crop yields. Flooding uh, and droughts go together. And then, of course, putting land and water in Gasahal, that was a political decision, right? Yes, uh, deliberately. The mainstay of America's balance of payments has actually been food exports. Uh, and the, most of the constant in American foreign policy uh, since 1945 has been to uh, base its policy on American export markets and its uh, food exports that has uh, been able to cover the cost of American imports and American spending abroad. And why is the price of gasoline rising in the United States? <laughs> that would be a job for the anti-monopoly uh, regulators to look at if they were still regulating. Uh, we don't know because the, the, the regulatory agencies under Obama uh, have stopped regulating. Uh, Obama has gone not only much further than George Bush, but Obama has gone further than Dick Cheney. He's appointed a Justice Department that refuses to prosecute financial crime. He's appointed Environmental Department that just uh, is very much like the Reagan Environmental Department, gives uh, everything to the oil companies, uh, offshore drilling. Uh, Obama has just paralyzed uh, the government by putting deregulators everywhere in a way that uh, George Bush, a Republican, never could have uh, uh, been able to do because the Democrats would have been able to oppose a Republican uh, president from disabling the American uh, regulatory agencies to the extent that Obama has done because they can't stop one of their own party members from uh, taking this uh, position. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, Debt Deflation in Europe and America. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Are there similarities between the economic crisis of September 2008 and the present economic situation? <laughs> yes, we're still in the same situation. We're still in the aftermath of 2008. Uh, it's very funny that economists are uh, talking about a double-dip uh, recession. We've never got out of the crash after that. The economy has not recovered. The stock market has gone up because the Federal Reserve has been flooding the stock market and the bond market with liquidity, but the employment market, living standards, sales uh, are not going up, uh, housing is still uh, down. So uh, we're in uh, much more than uh, a Great Recession. We're going into a lost decade. We're going into a period where wages are going to drift downward into a kind of a slow crash uh, because the government is not renegotiating mortgages downward. It's not canceling the debts. Uh, the federal government is not bailing out the cities that are in trouble. And there's a downward uh, financial spiral basically coming from the debt uh, situation. I mean, basically, uh, the question really isn't uh, whether we're in a double-dip recession. It's uh, 
why has a recovery from the crash, why hasn't it taken place? And how can the government have created $13 trillion of Treasury and Federal Reserve cash and loans and guarantees to Wall Street for the wealthiest 1% of the population? Why hasn't this trickled down and created jobs? Why hasn't the bank bailout created jobs? And how do we jumpstart an economy when 70% is consumer spending, but the consumers aren't spending because they don't have any money, because they're worried uh, that they may be unemployed or that they're one paycheck away from unemployment. So uh, what has Washington not been doing that it should have been doing? Well, for one thing, uh, President Obama, before he was elected, said exactly what he was going to do. He was going to uh, renegotiate the mortgages downward, and the banks have not done it. And Obama said, well, just forget it. The uh, Federal Reserve has flooded the banks with liquidity, saying now they can lend out and the economy can borrow its way out of debt. Why hasn't this worked? Well, the banks send all the money abroad. The fact is that giving money to the banks, giving money to rich people, doesn't create jobs for the people. And Mr. Obama's staff and his uh, economists keep saying, well, the rich people are job creators. But they're not job creators. They're the ones who are closing down the factories. They're the ones who are outsourcing American labor. Uh, they're the people who are uh, just working labor more intensively. Uh, so there's uh, a whole conflict between uh, reality and uh, what the politicians are saying and I guess that's what a politician's for, to make people pay attention to uh, what he's saying, not uh, to the real world. Are the banks then creating a permanent depression? The debt overhead is creating it, and the banks want to collect as much debt as they can. So it's uh, almost something impersonal. Uh, every economy for hundreds of years has uh, had debts grow more rapidly than the economy can afford to pay. And uh, what happens at a point is there's a crash, and the crash wipes out debts, but it also wipes out savings on the other side of the balance sheet. Well, this time, uh, when the crash has come, uh, the government has said, okay, we will uh, keep all the debts on the books, and uh, for the bad debts, uh, we will tax the people to give to the banks to make sure that the rich people don't lose money, that only industry and only uh, labor will lose money. Well, of course, what that does is uh, uh, deindustrialize the economy even more because without consumption, uh, markets are going to shrink. Uh, companies won't invest. The stores will close. There will be for rent signs. Uh, tax uh, revenues to the cities will fall. They'll have to uh, lay off their employees, and uh, the economy will shrink and shrink and shrink. And uh, that's what is in front of us. Now, the question is, why aren't economists talking about this obvious phenomenon of debt deflation, which is the distinguishing phenomenon of our time? Uh, they're doing just the opposite. They're saying, just uh, give more money to the banks and everything will be okay. Uh, and nobody's asking, why isn't this working? Well, could you explain debt deflation? It's a confusing term. Okay, but when people earn an income, the economics textbooks, they earn the income and they spend it on the goods and services they produce. So Henry Ford said the reason he's paying his workers $5 an hour uh, is so that they can buy Ford cars. But people uh, spend their income not only on goods and services, they pay off their debts, uh, first of all. The first thing out of the paycheck they have to do, and it may even be uh, taken out of their paycheck, they have to pay the credit card debt, they have to pay the bank debt, they have to pay the mortgage. Now, the more debt they have to pay, the less they have to spend on goods and services. 
And uh, if they don't buy goods and services, then businesses close down and the economy shrinks. So the real economy of production and consumption is shrinking, while the payments to the financial sector of debt go up and up and up. Because when the financial sector, when the banks get money, or the rich people who are the main financial investors get money, they don't buy goods and services. The banks lend out this money on yet new loans, or they send it abroad, or they speculate, but they don't buy goods and services. So debt deflation is when you divert spending away from buying goods and services to paying debts. I see. And then that then deflates the economy, is what you're saying. Yes, there's less and less and less of national income goes to spend on goods and services. And more and more is given to the financial sector. The Federal Housing Authority is suing the major banks, Bank of America, Chase, Citibank, Deutsche Bank, and other big banks. What is the lawsuit about? Uh, the fact that uh, these banks all misrepresented the junk mortgages uh, that they were doing. Uh, they would uh, package mortgages and uh, look to sell them to investors in America, to pension funds, to insurance companies, and to foreign banks, saying these are uh, AAA mortgages, AAA is as good as the U.S. government. We know that these mortgages are good because here's the income that uh, the uh, borrowers have. Here are the appraisals of the buildings. Well, it turned out that the appraisals were faked and the income levels were faked. There were no documentation loans, and uh, the biggest banks have turned out to be running a fraud. And uh, uh, Bill Black is the one who's written more than anyone else. He's uh, a colleague of mine at the University of uh, Missouri at Kansas City. And there's a website, by the way, if we're talking about debt deflation or the financial things, there's UMKC, University of Missouri at Kansas City, economic blog called New Economic Perspectives. And uh, Bill Black and I and um, other writers uh, write about uh, how the financial sector here has been what he calls criminogenic. In other words, it's been criminalized, and uh, uh, bankers have really run control fraud. Uh, the banks have uh, crooked uh, real estate brokers, crooked real estate appraisers. Right down the line, uh, almost everybody's been engaged in a gigantic fraud that has created uh, this whole bubble. And whereas when a similar fraud happened in the 1980s with the Savings and Loan Associations, thousands of people went to jail. Nobody's gone to jail yet. Hardly anybody's been arrested. And yet they're on a much larger scale than Bernie Madoff. Well, the Justice Department says, well, you know, we can't really prosecute for fraud because if we did, then uh, the banks are already uh, dependent on the U.S. government for bailouts and we'd be uh, paying money for ourselves. So they're not sending anybody to jail. Uh, even uh, Angela Mazzello of Countrywide, uh, which was sort of the toxic uh, bank in all of this, that's now part of Bank of America, there's a question of whether it's really illegal in America to do financial fraud. In a sense, uh, the United States has decriminalized financial fraud. Well, uh, the Federal Housing Authority that brought the suit that you uh, talked about has three years from the time that it took over Fannie Mae and uh, uh, Freddie Mac, the housing guarantee agencies, uh, to bring fraud. And, and it said, look, uh, the, the government guaranteed agencies has been uh, buying from crooks. And Citibank is run by crooks. Uh, Chase Manhattan is run by crooks. Bank of America is a financial gang. And uh, we want the money back. They have to make restitution.
or at least they have to pretend. Well, the banks then tried to stop all of this by having the Iowa attorney general head a whole group of attorney generals uh, to make a overall agreement with the banks, basically to forgive them. And the Iowa attorney general is trying to say, uh, they've stolen $13 uh, trillion. Let's uh, uh, find them $100. And uh, uh, the Obama administration was backing that. Yes, don't pay anymore. But now the New York attorney general and I think the Nevada attorney general have said, wait a minute, these guys have falsified uh, loan documents. They've uh, written in uh, false uh, figures. These guys are crooks. Bank of America is like a mafia. These are absolute crooks, and we're going to go after them and uh, find them and get restitution. And that's why Bank of America stock is down 6% today. Because now they think, oh, my God, what if they actually uh, enforce the law? Well, Obama's attorney general holder, his job is to make sure that the law is not enforced. His job is sort of like uh, the crooked sheriff that works for the gangsters who run a small town, and just to make sure that uh, the gangsters can get away with it. And uh, this should be what the election is all about. Uh, Holder and Obama saying, don't prosecute the frauds. Instead, uh, make them whole. Make sure they don't lose anything. Talk about the University of Missouri-Kansas City economics blog, the new economic perspectives on MMT that you mentioned. What is modern monetary theory? Basically, it's, it's the realization that uh, we're not on a gold standard anymore, that uh, when banks make a loan, they create a credit on their uh, computer keyboard, uh, and that the government basically doesn't need to borrow uh, from banks. It can simply spend the money uh, and create the money to uh, pull the economy out of recession. Some people call us uh, post-Keynesians. Uh, other people call us heterodox economists. But we're sort of the opposite of the Chicago School of Economics that are the pro-bankers, uh, the sort of free market economists, meaning uh, let the gangsters be part of the economy. Uh, crime in the economy is all part of the same game-seeking. We're sort of uh, the old-time classical economists. Uh, but we see that uh, modern money is uh, something created essentially uh, by banks, and that if the government runs a deficit, then uh, it pumps money into the economy. But if the government runs a surplus, then it sucks money out of the economy and pushes the economy into depression. So that if we're going to uh, spur recovery today, then we need employment. And the only way of getting employment uh, when there's not a private sector market demand is for the government to become the source of demand by running a deficit, just the opposite of what uh, the Republicans and the Democrats are saying. But it's exactly what uh, Herbert Hoover and Roosevelt said back in the 1930s. I mean, the Republicans and the Democrats in the 30s realized that uh, the government had to uh, spend more money to get the country out of recession. Today, both parties are the exact opposite. Uh, they're uh, pushing austerity plans. So if people want to read about modern monetary theory, where would they go on the Internet? either to the UMKC, University of Missouri, Kansas City, economics blog, or New Economic Perspectives. Most of my current articles uh, are posted there, by the way. What about currencies, specifically the dollar, the euro, and the renminbi, or yuan? The currency markets are in a turmoil because nobody knows how the, uh, Europe is going to resolve 
uh, the currency crisis, uh, people uh, basically uh, are moving out of the euro and out of the dollar uh, into gold. They're moving out of everything. Uh, all of the currency markets are being basically run by huge computer programs, uh, and there's no particular way you can relate currency values to uh, uh, consumer prices or price indexes or labor or anything that the, the textbooks talk about. It's just all the flow of funds. Now, if the debt, the debts were canceled, how would that be done? How could that be done? Well, uh, the original plan for the uh, bad mortgage debt was you reset the mortgages to match the current uh, price of the property. That's one thing. Or you say, we're going to bring mortgages back in line with the rents. And let's say it, if this house or this apartment or condo uh, were uh, rented out, what would it rent for? Well, let's say we'll capitalize this at, say, 5% interest, and we'll, we'll capitalize the rent and get a reasonable economic price for the property, and we'll reset the mortgage at that price. That's one way to do it. So then the banks would be writing off a lot of the debt. Yes, and somebody would have to lose, and it would have to be the big bank depositors because the Federal Deposit and Insurance Corporation insures uh, depositors uh, uh, up to 100000 or $200,000, I think, per deposit even. So uh, the big rollers would lose, and uh, they've uh, increased uh, the wealthiest 1% uh, of Americans in 1979 had 39% of uh, the interest, dividends, rent, and capital gains, now they have about two-thirds. They'd have to go back to their historical uh, proportions, and uh, the economy would become much less polarized between rich people and uh, the uh, rest of the economy. So you'd have a much more normal economy by writing down this financial fat or uh, parasitism. Uh, You'd get rid of it. Michael Hudson, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Bonnie. Something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show has been Debt Deflation in Europe and America. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super Imperialism, the Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of Trade, Development, and Foreign Debt, and Global Fracture, the New International Economic Order, among many others. Dr. Hudson has been a consultant to foreign governments, including Canada, Mexico, and Russia. Visit his website at www.michael-hudson.com. That's michael-hudson.com. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaramako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. And our new 
which is the evolution of the mind. If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call to all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself for peace. Give thanks. Life and release. You did.